Hi everyone, this is Christian Weatherford. And Alan Weatherford. And you're listening to Just the Zoo of Us, an animal rating podcast. Your voice sounds especially podcasty today. <laughs> it sounds really nice. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Each animal that we review on the show, we will rate out of 10 based on three categories, effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Christian and I are not zoological experts, but we do a lot of research. We spend a lot of time getting our notes ready and making sure that we're presenting you trustworthy information from good, reliable sources. Weekly social media polls go up on Wednesday. <laughs> Nobody else could see that, but Christian did them on air quotes to make fun of me because this week I forgot to do it on Wednesday, and it went up on Thursday. But they go up eventually. <laughs> I'm going to edit these notes. <laughs> Put those in actual quotes. No, just kidding. But those um, go up in our Twitter and Facebook group and sometimes Instagram when I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's hard because there's no words. You just post up two pictures of animals and people have to get it. I don't know true. how Instagram works. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that much is evident. You've made that very obvious. <laughs> I've been told it's just pictures, so I'm taking that to the extreme. <laughs> it's emojis only. Oh. Uh, this week, your animal was actually selected by the social media poll. Sure was. But it is your turn to go first. Okay. My species this week is the bull jumping spider, also known as the daring jumping spider. Scientific name, Phidippus audax. Mm, I love this. Yeah. Like we mentioned, this was selected via social media poll, but it was also submitted by Hannah and Eric Goberding, as well as Dalton Weeks. Excellent. Thank y'all. I'll be getting my information from two sources this week. First, from a paper titled, Revision of the Jumping Spiders of the Genus Phidippus Araneae Salticidae, from the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services by Glavis B. Edwards. And my second source, Animal Diversity Web, found at animaldiversity.org. Woo-woo! Yes. First, I want to talk about the etymology of the scientific name, specifically its species name. So, audax is a Latin adjective meaning audacious or bold, and is also where the word audacious comes from. Oh, I see that. Yes. So this is bold as in brave, not mm -hmm. necessarily bold as in thick. Correct. Okay. <laughs> not the font bold. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Although having seen them, that would be accurate for sure. them as well. Which is a good time to talk about what they look like. Yeah. So they are small spiders. They're bigger than a lot of spiders, but I would still classify them as small because they're not like tarantula size or anything. They're like a uh, fingertip size. Like a nickel. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that only makes sense to American listeners. That is a coin in our <laughs> currency system. <laughs> a medium-ish coin. Um, shoot. <laughs> we need to get better at localization. <laughs> but it is a spider. The base color is black. It has several eyes, which I'll go into detail about that later. It has, let me look up how to pronounce this real quick. Chalicerae. Nope. Chalicerae? I don't know. I think it's chalicerae. Are you talking chalicerae. about the, the bits yes. on the front? Yeah. It has a different pronunciation in American English and British English, it turns out. Oh. So base color black. It has white spots that can sometimes be orange or yellow. The spots on its back, a lot of the times, form what I call a ghost face. It's really, it's a powerful look. It's yeah. really good. It's like a big smiley face. It, it reminds me specifically of the ghosts in the first generation Pokemon games that you find in the tower 
in Lavender Town before you have the item that lets you see them for actual Pokemon. Yeah, and they have that weird little smile. Yes. Yes, that is exactly what that face looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me wonder if this spider was the... Some word I forgot. Inspiration? <laughs> Inspiration. Maybe? There it is. I don't know, because doesn't this spider live in America? What an excellent segue, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. They're found across North America, from southern Canada, most of the United States, northern Mexico, and Cuba. And it was introduced to Hawaii and the Nicobar Islands. So they're found in grasslands, prairies, and open woodlands. Also agricultural habitats, like backyards and gardens. In Florida, they're restricted to grassy areas near bodies of water, which pretty much to a T describes our, our exact house. Yes, our <laughs> house. <laughs> That's all how big they are. So like many spiders, the females are bigger than the males. The females range from 8 to 15 millimeters long or 0.3 to 0.6 inches. And the males go from 6 to 13 millimeters long or 0.2 to 0.5 inches. They belong to the taxonomic family Salticidae. Which is all of the jumping spiders. I love them so much. They're so good. These are like the best spiders. Yeah, it's a lot. Because uh, it has over 6,000 species. Oh my goodness. Yes. That's a lot, lot. Lots of jumping spiders in there. So I'll start in our first category of effectiveness, which describes the physical attributes. How good are they at the things they do? For the bull jumping spider, I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's a good spider. So first is their sight. They have much better eyesight than most spiders. Really? Yeah. So there are a couple different configurations of number of eyes in spiders. These spiders have eight eyes. They have anterior median eyes that form sharp images, while their anterior lateral eyes judge distance. So yeah, this combines to give them very good stereoscopic vision. Oh, okay. Yeah. These jumping, sp well, not particularly these jumping spiders, but jumping spiders in general, a lot of the times are the ones that you'll see those like macro photography pictures of. Sure. It's like a super duper close up mm -hmm. and you see the jumping spider super duper close and they have the big, huge, perfectly round puppy dog eyes. Sure. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And what has always kind of confused me about them, what the first time I saw these like macro shots of jumping spiders, I assumed that they were CGI or Photoshop because the eyes were not compound eyes. Oh, correct. Yeah. They're not. They are not. Like you assume that they would be mm -hmm. based on nothing. <laughs> <laughs> based on, I guess, because, you know, insects tend to have compound eyes, but they don't have compound eyes, do they? They do not. They actually kind of look like they have uh, pupils almost if you look at them. I think they look like they have straight up camera lenses. Mm -hmm. Like if you look really closely into like a camera lens, that's exactly what like a jumping spider's sure. eyes look like. It looks like a straight up lens. Sure. They work differently than ours. But they're more similar to ours than a compound eye. Yeah, they are. Which sees better too, because I think one of the things we talked about with compound eyes was that you can see more around you and you have like a wider field of view, but you can't really see too good. Sure. <laughs> So, so they can see real good. Yeah. I like that. Next point I want to talk about is their jumping ability. So it was hard to find any specific stats here, but one blog entry I found by Kathy Keatley Garvey on the University of California Agriculture and Natural Resources website says they can reportedly jump 10 to 50 times their body length. Oh my goodness. In distance. So that's a maximum of 75 centimeters or two and a half feet. That's pretty good. Yeah. Considering how little they are. Yeah, pretty far. And finally, their venom. So most spiders have venom, 
but also like most spiders, this venom is not lethal to humans. They use it to catch prey. What kind of prey? Their prey includes uh, a wide variety of insects and other spiders. Oh, they've taken on their own kind. Yep. They're traitors <laughs> to the spiders. Although, I mean, I suppose they don't have any particular <laughs> loyalty to <laughs> right. them. The next category is ingenuity. So these are smart things that the animals do. Maybe tool use, interesting tactics, solving puzzles, that sort of thing. I'm giving a 7 out of 10. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's better than I would have thought a spider would get. It was higher than I was anticipating. So first, I want to talk about their hunting. So they're daytime hunters. So that utilizes their eyesight to its best. Because the way they hunt is they sneak up on prey and jump on them, rather than trying to catch prey in a web like other spiders. So these spiders do not spend webs as you think of them. They're go-getters. <laughs> They're not just going to sit around and wait for prey to come to them. They're going to yeah. go get it. Now, they do produce produce silk, though. And, okay. here, and here's how they use it. So before jumping, they'll secure a line of web from itself to some structure before it jumps, like a backup line, so that if it fails its jump so spectacularly and falls, <laughs> it'll have a, life, a lifeline, basically. It's a bungee. <laughs> yeah. They're like repelling. That's smart. That's very clever of them yeah, to do that. But they're is. not making a web. No. Okay. Huh. That explains the line of webbing that we saw from one from the tree to the fence in our backyard. I don't know about that. I have a theory, but I'm going to save that for the end. Oh, okay. Yeah. What a mystery. And like we mentioned or like we mentioned earlier, they eat a variety of insects and other spiders. Also in part of their hunting they use different hunting techniques for different prey so for example they'll approach flies from a different angle and jumping distance than they will for caterpillars so they'll adjust it based on the kind of prey they're going after is that like to take advantage of like a blind spot i believe so yeah oh i love that this is something we talked about with dragonflies mm -hmm. it's really cool because like i guess that requires the jumping spiders to have really good vision because yeah. then they can see what they're jumping at. <laughs> yep. Yep. So that's where it comes in, right? So they have vision that does sharp image and they have another vision that does range kind of estimation. That's always useful to have. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to be jumping 50 times your body length. <laughs> Next point of ingenuity is courting. So the males court the females. They'll show off colored spots on their legs by lifting up their legs uh, at the females. I love this. <laughs> yeah, I think there's lots of video of this. Because it's adorable. They do a little can-can. Yeah, it it's does look really like that. cute. However, if the female approaches too quickly, the male will jump away. Oh, <laughs> he has standards. He respects himself. <laughs> if she's a little too eager, he's like, mm-mm. I wonder if it's a fear thing, though. <laughs> like, nope, she's not interested. She wants to eat me by... <laughs> That's kind of funny. Like, he's courting her, but if she's a little too into it, then he'll play hard to get. <laughs> Bye. Just jump a mile away. <laughs> that was how our courtship went. Oh, yeah. Was that... <laughs> You would kick your legs up at me, and then I would run to go kiss you, and then you would <laughs> jump to the opposite side of the planet. But I only have two legs, so I can only lift one leg up at a time. <laughs> it was really cute. It's great to see. <laughs> and final thing for ingenuity, to talk is more of a behavioral thing. They're not aggressive towards humans, but they may bite in self-defense if grabbed or pressed. Their bites range from asymptomatic to slightly painful. So with the, the bits in the front. Yes. Is that for bite? Like, what is that? Is it a grabby bit? Is it a is it teeth? What is it? So that does contain the fangs, right? Oh. That's my understanding. 
that brings us to our final category, aesthetics. Pretty self-explanatory. How cute they are, how beautiful they are. Mm, how good they look. Yeah. I'm giving a full 10 out of 10. Of course. How could you <laughs> not? So their chalicerae have an iridescent green coloration. It's so striking. Yes. And also I mentioned their cute face and eyes that pretty much all jumping spiders have. I'm going to say all jumping spiders are cute. Yeah. I have not seen one that was not cute. Yeah, I'd agree. They rule. <laughs> I, I think a jumping spider is a good gateway spider. <laughs> like if you're kind of freaked out by spiders and a little like scared of them and think they're the worst, I think jumping spiders are a good transition into liking spiders. Mm -hmm. It's like a starter spider. I agree. And then finally for aesthetics, the ghost face pattern that I mentioned earlier. I thought that was really neat. It's very cool because it does, like, you'll see, because I've seen a lot of pictures of them, and some of them just kind of look like splotchy, like mm -hmm. just white, random white spots. But some of them are a straight up, immediately identifiable as yeah. a big, fat, smiley face. Yeah. I feel like all the ones I've seen here look like that. Yeah. So when we were coming home from somewhere, I don't remember where it was, but we were coming home and we saw one on the front door of our house. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was really exciting because I'd never seen one before, but it was definitely like, it's the first thing you noticed was like, oh my gosh, there's a spider with a giant smiley <laughs> face on its back sitting on our door. We thought it was some sort of weird blessing. Yeah, it was odd. <laughs> so that wraps up my ratings. Mm -hmm. Now, did want to talk about the the tree spider line theory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what Ellen was referring to was in our backyard one day we noticed there was a single spider thread connecting a tree and sloping downward to a fence and that distance is about 15 or 20 feet mm -hmm. yeah. but it, it goes from like high up in the tree yes. to, to down low on the fence so something could have jumped from the top of the tree and gotten some distance while falling and gotten to the fence yeah but even then considering the maximum distance that this spider can jump i don't think it was it yeah maybe so I, I did mention one day when i went out to look at the part of the fence it was attached to i noticed there was a a, a bull jumping spider <laughs> i forgot the first word there's a bull jumping spider sitting on that part of the fence i thought maybe it was it but i don't think so because that just doesn't make sense for that kind of distance maybe it ate whatever it was yeah that's what i was thinking because <laughs> there are spiders that will build what are called bridge lines which what they'll do is they'll sit on a higher up ground perhaps and they'll start letting out thread and let the wind carry the thread until it latches onto something. Wow. Yeah. That makes sense. And then you did say that you saw another line of thread from a different tree going into like... No. So it was same tree, same spot, same oh, everything. Because okay. I, I had to knock down this one thread because I was mowing the lawn and it's at face level for me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I noticed uh, another thread was built in the exact same spot. So, oh, hmm, interesting. Maybe something else built a line and then our little jumping spider friend just gobbled it up. Maybe. So the last little thing is conservation status. The species has no special status and is very abundant. They're fine. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm not surprised because oh, they rule. They're well, really great. Also, their predators include dragonflies, birds, and lizards. No surprises there. <laughs> We have all those things. Yeah, I was going to say, like, mm, our little spider friend is probably not doing so great in our backyard because <laughs> it is kind of a paradise for all of those things. Yep. <laughs> we have so many. <laughs> but awesome. I love this spider. This is a great one. And I think that people who maybe aren't super used to spiders and maybe want to develop a better relationship with spiders should probably look into photos and stuff of this one because it will 
change the way you feel about spiders. Yeah, it's very cute. They're very plump, too, <laughs> you know? Like, I feel like with the jumping spiders, they have more bulk to them. Well, they usually also have tiny little hairs coming off of them that make them look a little bigger. They're fluffy <laughs> and they're chunky and they have the giant round eyes. They're so good. <laughs> and, you know, something we've been talking about is, you know, developing a more respectful relationship with the animals around you that you may might instinctively react to with fear. Mm-hmm. Um, like we talked about it with snakes, but spiders are another one too. You know, keeping a spider around means a spider is going to eat your bugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you see a spider... Leave it alone. Like if you if you don't want it in your house, just scoop it up in a glass and put it outside. It's no big deal. Yeah. And they make little devices for it too, if you're not comfortable using just like a glass or something. Yeah, there's a grabby thing that has these little bristles on mm-hmm. the end that closes up and catches a spider. Yeah. And then and it's like on a pole so you don't have to get it close to you. <laughs> so you can just like scoop it up in this little thing and carry it outside and let it go. Yeah. Oh, it's really cute. But yeah, be cool to spiders. Yeah, bro. That's, that's all I got. Just, <laughs> just like be cool yeah, in general. <laughs> Our patrons on Patreon keep us going each week. This week, I would like to thank Jacob Jones, Jacob Schick, Kyle Rauch, April Kamick, Vikram Baliga, Brianna Feinberg, Sarah Peterson, Dalton Weeks, Brandon Everfolly, Megan Clark, Paul Chomo, The Jungle Gym Queen, and Christina Sanders. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. All right, hun. what do you bring to us this week? This week, I'm really excited to talk to you about the North American porcupine. Ooh. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) So this animal was requested via email by Nathan Robles in Campbell, California, whose dad helped him write us an email. Oh, yes. (laughs) Love this one. Yes. So I agreed that porcupines are awesome, and I definitely want to talk about them. So this one goes out to Nathan. Thank you, Nathan. I'm getting my information from the Smithsonian National Zoo, as well as Animal Diversity Web. Very good. So we don't live in an area where porcupines are. So a lot of this was news to me. (laughs) I feel like porcupines are one of those things that you see a lot, like in cartoons and stuff. Yeah. Uh, And then growing up in an area where they're not as common as they are portrayed in cartoons was kind of a disappointment (laughs) because you're not going to come across them where we live. But so they are up to three feet long or Mm. about 90 centimeters and typically around 20 pounds or nine kilograms. So it's like good, like small, small dog sized, just about. That's about what I would have guessed. Yeah. Uh, They're found throughout most of North America, especially all throughout Alaska and Canada. Big presence in the northern areas, as well as farther south along the western United States. Okay. So pretty much everywhere except the southeast. (laughs) We're just the little pocket that didn't get any porcupines. (laughs) We got enough going on. Yeah, we have a lot happening here. (laughs) So they they probably saw what we had going on down here and were like, nah, (laughs) that's okay, actually. That was probably smart of them to do that. <laughs> so their taxonomic family is called Erythizontidae. This is the New World porcupines. There's two okay. groups of porcupines. All right, we've we've had a couple like this before. Mm-hmm. This is actually kind of similar to the vulture situation, mm-hmm. how there was the Old World and the New World ones. Yeah. So the New World porcupines, as their name implies, they're found throughout the Americas, and this also includes the prehensile tailed porcupines. 
Oh. So those are more in South America. This one does not have a pretensile tail, unfortunately, but it's it's related to them. There is another family of porcupines called the Old World Porcupines, and they live in Europe and Africa and Asia. But the New World Porcupines are in a different infraorder. So it's a totally different family. New World Porcupines are actually more closely related to capybaras and guinea pigs than they are to Old World Porcupines. Interesting. I know. Their branch kind of split off after the Old World Porcupines did. I wonder if the Old World Porcupines are closer to badgers. No, they're closer to naked mole rats. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all porcupines are rodents. Okay. I don't think badgers are rodents. Yeah, you're right. Carnivora, I think, is what they are. Mm -hmm. So all porcupines are rodents. And in North America, porcupines are the second largest rodent, with the first one being the beaver. I didn't realize beavers are that big. Beavers are bigger. (laughs) Beavers also don't live where we live. You're right. (laughs) So we don't know anything about beavers either. (laughs) Um, Yeah, beavers are pretty chunky, but so uh, porcupines are a little smaller than them. And also in South America, naturally, capybaras are the largest rodent. So Globally. Yeah, in the whole world. (laughs) A lot of people maybe think that porcupines are related to either hedgehogs or echidnas. Not even a little bit. (laughs) Neither of those are rodents. Okay. So the spines are just an example of convergent evolution. So just traits that evolved similarly under different circumstances had nothing to do with each other. Okay. Yeah, echidnas are monotremes, like platypus. Yep. And then um, hedgehogs are their own thing entirely. They're <laughs> not even, they're not rodents. They're kind of related to like selenodons and shrews and stuff like that. Okay. Not rodents. So that's your primer on what a <laughs> porcupine kind of generally is. What do they look like? I'm going to get into it. <laughs> well, I guess I can say at least that they're brown. They're dark brown mm-hmm. and fluffy, but the fluff isn't what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> they look like they just they look like they just have long hair, mm-hmm. long bristly hair. It's not what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so, this brings me to our first rating for the porcupine, which is effectiveness. I'm giving the porcupine an 8 okay. out of 10. Let's just get into the quills. Let's just talk about them because <laughs> they're really good. So porcupines are covered head to toe with these quills. Mm. And it looks like hair. And it is hair. It's modified hair that is very, very sharp. <laughs> and hurts very, very badly if you touch it. Um, so there's these long, sharp spines. Each porcupine has around 30,000 quills mm. on its body. It's so many of them. And the spines are made of keratin. So that's the same material as our hair or our nails or mm-hmm. anything like that. So they, they are just modified hair. Uh, just like the rest. So they have fur. They have like an undercoat of fur Mm -hmm. and then quills growing through like that fur. So these quills are embedded into the skin, just like hair or fur, but that connection isn't very strong. So the quills fall out very easily when they're touched. So like a small amount of contact will make it fall out of the porcupine. Hmm. Even just like if the porcupine just like shakes their body, the quills can fall out. Huh. Yeah, they're not attached very firmly. But there's a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's important for the thing <laughs> they're doing. Um and also they grow the the quills regrow very quickly. As soon as like a couple of days after a quill falls out, a new one will will emerge to take its place. Interesting. Yeah, so I mean they they lose them at a very high rate. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not surprising that they grow back very quickly. There's a common myth 
that porcupines can fire their quills like projectiles. Yeah. By like forcefully ejecting them. Not true. Where did that come from? Apparently it's very, very old. (laughs) Like it's very, very old. Apparently for centuries people have perpetuated this idea that porcupines can just shoot their quills. Huh. Yeah. It's it's not real. Because it seemed like it was something that could come from a video game, but it sounds like it predates video games. (laughs) Very much so, yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really, really old idea, but no, they don't do that. Um, But the the quills do fall out. Sure. Um, They're just not shooting them. (laughs) But they do have some control Mm -hmm. over their quills. So what they can do is they can control the tension of the tissues that are holding the quills in place. So when the porcupine is just chilling Mm -hmm. and they're relaxed and and everything's good, the tissues are are loose so that if the porcupine bumps into something, the quill isn't going to drive into its own skin. Yeah. (laughs) But (laughs) if they're threatened, they're stressed out, they will tense up their muscles so that it takes very, very little to jostle the quill out of its place and and the quill will fall out. Hmm. So this makes it a lot easier for the quill to be removed from the porcupine on contact with the threat. Sure. So what they will do instead of firing their quills like projectiles is they will turn around and show their quills. First of all, like as kind of like a defensive, like you don't want none of this sort of thing. And then if that's not working, they will run backwards. (laughs) (laughs) they're not firing their quills right but they're kind of charging backwards with the quill facing the threat yeah so they will do that now what's interesting is that the tips of the quills are not smooth like a needle great (laughs) (laughs) are they barbed yes (laughs) so instead of being being smooth like needles they're covered in these microscopic little barbs that are pointed away from the tip of the quill so the quill will continue to puncture deeper into the skin. Like it'll keep inching inward after it's been lodged into the enemy. That's not great. No, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and what that, what that also means is that it is also very difficult to pull out. Um, so it will actually hurt more to take out than it did to put in. Yep. It's not great. It's not ideal. <laughs> if you So if you get stuck with a porcupine quill... <sighs> You got to just suck it up and it's it's going to hurt. You know, it'll like pull the skin and might cause a little bit of damage. So yeah, it's not ideal. So luckily for mom, <laughs> the quills of baby porcupines are soft and they're just kind of like the rest of their hair. Okay. But then a few days after they're born or even like sometimes even a few hours after they're born, the quills will harden huh. and get spiky. Wow. How cute are the babies? So very. (laughs) Do you want to know what they're called? Yeah. Porky pets. Oh. (laughs) It's really great. For some reason, I was anticipating porky pigs. No. No. (laughs) Porky piglet. So the the porky part of their name comes from the Latin word for pig. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like spiny pig is what their their name is. Spicy pig. (laughs) I love these people who are naming animals. It's so rude. It's very mean. <laughs> what was that one? Whoever came up with giraffe. <laughs> it was camel leopard. Something. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They were having a weird day. <laughs> so the the quills, while pretty effective, um, they're actually the porcupine's last resort when it comes to defending themselves. Okay. 
Um, because since they do fall out really easily, it's like very energetically expensive for sure. them to be regrowing like all of their quills all of the time. So what they prefer to do is first they will evade by climbing a tree. So they would prefer to just zoop, go right up a tree. Mm -hmm. um, if there's none available, they'll try a few different things. So they will chatter their teeth to make like a rattling sound. They will also emit a foul odor. Great. Yeah. So <laughs> they'll be really stinky and make themselves not seem very appealing. They might even shake their body and this rattles their quills together and oh. makes like a loud sound. And they're hollow, aren't they? So they have kind of this spongy material on the inside. It's lightweight. They're okay. very light, but they're not like 100% hollow. Oh, okay. They have just like a very light, like spongy tissue inside hmm. of them. And then when they do like stand their quills up, when they're like getting ready to use them, mm -hmm. they do look bigger. Hmm. Um, so, you know, they have a kind of a few different things that they'll try before they actually like launch their attack. That's, so the quills are kind of like last line of defense. Okay. Yeah. They, so I mentioned that they will climb up trees, but that's not just a defensive thing. They actually are pretty comfortable in trees. Hmm. So they have some really cool adaptations that make them great at climbing and navigating through trees. Wow. Yeah, they actually spend a lot of time up in the trees. So they have these long curved claws, and their paws are really interesting. So their paw pads are like bumpy. Mm -hmm. So they're textured in such a way where they look kind of like they're covered with pebbles. Hmm. Yeah, it's really neat. And um, so that helps them grip onto bark. It gives them more friction when they're grabbing onto the tree so that they can hold on better. Their back paws also have five claws instead of the four that are on the front. Their front paws have four claws each. The back ones have five each. So they can use those claws. Like I said, they're curved. Mm -hmm. um, they can use their back paws to hold on to the branch, and that frees up their front paws. Okay. So they can, like, you know, grab food or do whatever they need to do with their front paws while they're holding on with their back paw. Hmm. I didn't realize that they were so, like, agile in trees. Sure. Like I said, I knew very little about porcupines before doing this because they do not live where I live. <laughs> so I have never seen one in the wild i've never seen one outside yeah. the zoo so i did give them an eight out of ten instead of a full ten so i gave them a deduction because while they are pretty good climbers they're pretty good at getting up to where they need to go their bodies are still really slow and they're kind <laughs> of clumsy so they're very prone to falling out of trees oh no it happens a lot apparently <laughs> i saw one study that they said that they had examined like 37 or so porcupine skulls and they had identified uh, impacts from falling out of trees on 30% of them. <laughs> like, it's extremely common for porcupines to fall out of trees. Um, this is not great when your body is essentially a pincushion. Yeah. I'm starting to understand why their South American relatives got a prehensile tail. They, they specked a little higher into that, right? <laughs> they were like, mm, we need to actually buff our game up um, in, in holding on to this tree. So there is a risk of self-impalement on their quills. They can fall on their own quills. See, that's interesting because I guess I wouldn't have guessed that the end of the quill was also pointy. Like I didn't, I guess I didn't think both ends were pointy. Well, the the problem is more like first of all, when you fall, like the the, the quills are still bendy. Sure. You know they're flexible, oh. so they could bend in such a way where it, you know, pokes into the porcupine, or it could just drive the root of it, you know, into the porcupine. Huh. 
But yeah, so they they do actually, they're very prone to poking themselves with their own quills. But they have a little bit of (laughs) self-preservation built into their quills for this. So to alleviate the, not necessarily the risk of them impaling themselves, but to make it not so bad for them when they do, the tips of the porcupine quills produce an antibiotic. Yeah, it's like a greasy sort of substance that they make that stops bacteria from growing. So that would apply to anything, though, that it uses it on, right? Yeah, it's it's just to help them out, but still, like, it's an antibiotic. Well, that's nice of them. (laughs) We're going to stab you with this barbed implement, but let's not worry about an infection. (laughs) Let's not. Come on, let's be reasonable here. (laughs) Let's not use chemical warfare. It's okay. I mean, I think it's really just to like make it extremely unpleasant to eat them, right? Like, sure, it's not it's not meant to kill. I mean, it could. <laughs> well, it, yeah, that's definitely not to say that like it doesn't kill, but but I think that it's more so like if you like say you get a face full of porcupine yeah. and you don't have thumbs or medical tools to remove <laughs> the quills, that's gonna make you kind of unable to do anything else. Like, you're not gonna be able to eat or hunt or do anything else while you got a face full of quills. Sure. So eventually you're you're going to be in a rough spot. So in the long run, no, it's not a great idea. <laughs> you still don't want to step to the porcupine. So I wanted to give a notable mention because while I was looking up information about this like antibacterial property of the porcupine quills, I found this Chicago Tribune article and it is about the antibiotic properties of the porcupine quills. But I really wanted to share with you guys the title, like the headline of the article in all capital letters <laughs> heal thyself oh fat and prickly porcupine <laughs> this is by robin mckee and i really respect <laughs> i respect the tone <laughs> fat and prickly i mean it's both true but you didn't have to say it <laughs> so rude this is someone who's been pricked by porcupine quills <laughs> i'm almost positive <laughs> <laughs> he had a, he had mad beef with porcupines <laughs> he said heal thyself <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing i wanted to mention for their effectiveness is that they are nocturnal and lots of nocturnal animals have evolved big round eyes to take in more light and let them see better mm-hmm. not so with a porcupine they're fine with just their Little dumb eyes. <laughs> okay. They don't see very well at all. They don't, they just don't see too good. So they navigate instead with their senses of smell and touch. So they're, those paws that I mentioned are really sensitive. So they can, they do, they do an okay job of like feeling where they're going on their trees and stuff. And they have, you know, naturally pretty good senses of smell, but their eyesight is really bad. <laughs> Well. They've just given up on it. So yeah, that's that's effectiveness. This brings us to ingenuity for the porcupine. I'm giving it a six out of ten, which is just okay. Sure. The care for the baby porcupets is done entirely by the mother, but even then it's really not much. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like the bare minimum to be considered parental care. Um the baby is is born pretty well developed actually already. Um the baby's eyes are open ready to go it's doing okay so the baby will wean off of nursing the mother with like about after about a week of being born and then after that the mom will still hang around close by the baby they're not necessarily like 
together 24 7 you know like the Mm -hmm. mom will just kind of like be around like nearby and help like bring food to the baby and make sure everything's okay for the first like six weeks but gradually like the baby will just kind of go its own way um Mm. and then just kind of part ways after that and i was thinking about it and i was like oh like she's she's really not a very uh affectionate or doting mother and i was like you might also be if your child was <laughs> covered in needles, <laughs> you know, like they, what is she going to do? Like she can't carry it around. Sure. Like there's very little she can do about it. So, um, although, so porcupines, I mentioned that they're nocturnal. They're also solitary. They don't like to hang out with each other, but in the winter, when it starts to get cold, they go into dens. So they will find either maybe like a log or a rocky crevice or somewhere where they can go and curl up and get safe from the cold. And they actually will allow other porcupines to use their den. Oh. Yeah. So they're like cool with other porcupines that want to come in and snuggle up and get warm. Oh. Yeah. They're like okay with that as long as it's cold. <laughs> and then once it gets warm, get out. <laughs> <laughs> They, but they don't otherwise like line or insulate the den. They're not like making a nest. Mm-hmm. They've just found a spot for them to be in, and that's it. They don't do anything nice to make it comfy or anything. They seem pretty straightforward sure. behaviorally. They're like they're single minded. I think simple needs. <laughs> simple needs. <laughs> yes, they're not complicated animals. Uh, finally, aesthetics for the North American porcupine. I give them a nine. Okay. Out of ten, they are so cute. <laughs> so the soft undercoat is dark brown, but then the tips of the quills are white. Yeah. So I think this gives them the ultimate frosted tips. <laughs> the most frosted of tips. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of flavor tone, uh, <laughs> uh, what do they eat? What do they eat? Yeah. They're herbivores and they're not picky. They kind of eat any sort of plant matter. They actually eat wood. So like they'll eat the bark off of trees. Okay. You know, they'll eat vegetation. They'll eat leaves, stuff like that. They're just not, they're not picky, but they are herbivores. Okay. Oh, something that's interesting is that they will chew on bones. Not really for like... A meal, but for two reasons. The first of all being to sharpen their teeth, because being a rodent, their teeth are perpetually growing. Mm-hmm. If you've ever looked at a squirrel or a mouse and seen their front teeth that are very, very long and very sharp, um, they grow forever, permanently. They're constantly growing. And so rodents always have to be chewing on something to sort of like grind those teeth down. So they will chew on bones to do that. And what they're also getting out of that is salt. Oh. They crave salt, so okay. they will chew on bones that they find to to get a little, just a little snack. Okay. Have you seen the videos of porcupines eating things? I was literally just about to get oh, to that. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> and I put it in the aesthetics section because I made a separate note in aesthetics for the noise that they make. You can cut my thing out so you can be the one to introduce it. <laughs> no, you already said it. <laughs> I won't lie to anybody. Although, uh, can you real quick provide that noise for us? No. Please. (laughs) One time. That's all I ask. (laughs) One time. I forget what it sounds like now. Okay, that's a convenient excuse. The noise they make is really, really cute. And if you want to hear it, there are some pretty famous videos on YouTube of a porcupine named Teddy Bear. Oh, And he makes very happy sounds when he is given treats. So (laughs) corn and pumpkin are his Mm -hmm. favorite treats. So um, he's like a rescue porcupine. He was like 
orphaned and like found in a barn and stuff. And so he's been rehabilitated. And when his caretakers give him treats, he makes the cutest little sound. It's really, (laughs) really sweet. He gets so happy about it. Apparently porcupines in general don't vocalize that much. Oh. Um, but he's a particularly talkative one. Aww. Um, much to the amusement of like millions and millions and millions of people that have seen this video. <laughs> if nice. you haven't seen it yet, go look it up. It's Teddy Bear the Porcupine. But yeah, they're super fluffy. They're super chunky. They have a really round face. Just like you know what their face makes me think of? Like a Sharpay. Like, have you seen that kind of dog? That like, yeah, yeah. Dog with like a round, sort of bulbous, <laughs> like re- like droopy face. Yeah, that's what a porcupine's face looks like to me. Okay, but they're very fluffy. I deducted one point for making me want to hug them very badly. <laughs> don't do that. No, don't. Forbidden pillow pet. Probably my favorite porcupine in media is in one of those kung fu panda sequels where there was like a side character of a porcupine who would fight with its own quills they would like break off a a quill and use it as a short sword but then also shoot it as an arrow using a bow (laughs) that's really cool (laughs) (laughs) i remember um do you remember that pixar short i think it was before maybe up um but it's the one with the clouds and the clouds that are like making all the babies for the storks to deliver and there's the one cloud that got stuck with all the like dangerous animals yeah yeah and it has to like make a baby porcupine to be delivered <laughs> to the porcupines and it, like makes it and wraps it up in a swaddling rag and the the quills all poke through the <laughs> thing <laughs> That's what I like to imagine. I think it's really cute. Oh, I did want to say that, uh, you know, their quills are a pretty good deterrent against predators, but not foolproof. So there are some predators that are, so first of all, mountain lions are known to just kind of roll the dice. (laughs) (laughs) They don't do anything in particular about the spines. They just deal with it. Like they just (laughs) go for it anyway. And they're like, it's fine. (laughs) Sheer force of will. Yeah. Like they really just will, will kind of play through the pain and go for it. And I'm like, all right, I guess that's one way to do it. But one of their most notorious predators are fishers. Have you seen a fisher? It's the a bird? No, it's it's like a it's kind of like a weasel. Oh, it's, I think it's a mustelid. Okay. Um, it's it's kind of like a weasel or like a ferret or an otter yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And fishers will flip porcupines over. Yeah. And attack them, attack their belly and head, because they know that they don't have quills on the bottom, so they actually flip the porcupine over. And get it that way. I know. Um, Apparently in areas where people don't particularly like the porcupines to be, they will introduce fishers into those areas to take care of the porcupines. That's never going wrong. Well, so the last thing I was going to say was that the reason that they, that porcupines can be particularly troublesome to Mm -hmm. humans is that they have these voracious appetites and they're not picky so their their cravings for salt combined with their need to be honing their long, sharp teeth uh, make them prone to gnawing on any available source of wood. This mm. could be trees, but it could also be things like fences or houses <laughs> or canoe paddles Aww. or things that people don't want chewed on by porcupines. Sure. But so, yeah, they will sometimes just make a little bit of a nuisance of themselves by happily munching on anything they can find and that's not ideal for a lot of people so i've never had that problem 
because I've never lived in an area that had porcupines. If you have, let me know, because <laughs> I would take great delight in that. Probably much more delight than the person who is the recipient of this pesky yeah. behavior. And that is a North American porcupine. Well, thanks, honey. It was very enlightening. Thank you for sitting through it. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, friends. That's all we got this week. Thank you so much for spending this time with us, hanging out with us virtually. It's kind of a one-way hangout conversation. I mean, our friendship spans time and space. It does. Even if you're <laughs> listening to this like 10 years from when we're recording this, which is June 2020, <laughs> even if you're listening to this in 10 years, we're still friends. Yeah. Friends 10 years ago. Friend tens. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to come be buddies with us, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just search the title of the show. You'll find us. Um, if you have an animal that you want to hear us talk about, you can either email those to me, like our buddy Nathan did. My email address is ellen at justthezooofus.com. And finally, I want to say thank you to Louis Zong, who so graciously and kindly allowed us to use his song Adventuring off of his album B-Sides for our theme music. Thanks, Louis Zong. Are we on a first name basis now? I've, I've, I've almost did. I was like, wait, nope. I, he better, I heard you try it. Better not. And then you were like, no, <laughs> it doesn't feel right. <laughs> Thanks, friends. Thanks, everyone. And and we are friends, by the way, you and me listening. Oh, and, I thought uh, no, like, me and, and you, the person listening right now, we are friends. I thought you were saying you and I, like well, Ellen, you and, I, Ellen and Christian. You and I also are friends. It's like, babe, we're married. <laughs> <laughs> me, me and you, the listener, not married, but friends. Friends. <laughs> Bye, friends. Bye. <laughs>